Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. Lord, we pray that we would have ears to listen this morning. Oh Lord, we pray that you would be with me, help me to speak clearly about what your word has said. And we pray that we may receive these instructions as they really are from the word of God, from yourself. And so, Lord, we pray that we would put into practice what we hear this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, have you ever tried to grow your own food? I'm someone who has tried. I haven't been very successful. Even when I was a child, I tried to grow some tomato plants in the backyard. And it was met with some success. The plants grew up and some fruit showed up on the tomato plant, but I ended up picking the tomatoes a little too early. I was so eager about these tomato plants and the fact that tomatoes were there that I picked them while they were a bit green and took them to mum and said, look, we've got tomatoes, and I expected her to use them in her cooking. And uh, she said, no, uh, these are not ripe, Joel, and they're pretty much useless now. Well, interestingly, my father and I found a use for them nonetheless, and uh, we got a cricket bat, and in the backyard, uh, we decided to uh, play cricket using tomatoes as the balls. And uh, it was a lot of fun until uh, someone opened the back door at the right moment when a uh, tomato was being hit towards the back door, and it rolled right through Mum's clean kitchen. Thankfully, it was not me that had the bat at that moment. It was my father. And uh, so that was an interesting altercation that I got to witness uh, between my father and my mother. So I still had fun in trying to grow my own food, but it wasn't in the way that it should have been, where I was able to eat what I grew. This morning, we're going to be looking at the subject of harvesting Food, harvesting food. And that comes up for us in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, page 1053 of the Black Church Bibles. I encourage you to have it open as we look at this passage and what Jesus has to say about harvesting. The context of this passage, which we've been looking at for a number of weeks, is that Jesus has been speaking to this woman in Samaria, and he's been speaking to her about uh, the fact that ultimately that he is the Christ and can give eternal life. Then she has gone back into the town, and while she is in that town, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and his disciples are telling him what he should be doing, which is eating something. And we see that in verse 31 of John chapter 4. We read, Meanwhile, his, that's Jesus' disciples, urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And then last time we looked at this passage together, we saw Jesus' response. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. His disciples are a bit perplexed about this, and then Jesus goes on to declare what his food is. In verse 34 we read, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so last time I spoke about what it is to do God's will and to finish his work that Jesus has in mind here the work that he is doing in bringing salvation to people, and particularly the work of the cross is the ultimate end game of Jesus. That, that is that work that he is going to do for his Father while he is here on earth. We look then generally at what it means to do the will of God and to be like Jesus. Now I want to, this week, as we go on to verses 35 and 36, look at what is Jesus specifically encouraging his disciples to do here. 
Jesus has spoken about his food is to do the work of God. What is it that he wants his disciples to have as their food, have as the work of God for them? And that is where he comes to them and tells them in verse 35 that they need to bring about a harvest. And so that's my first main point this morning. First main point is harvest now. Harvest now. If you want to follow my main points, they're listed there inside the church bulletin. And the first is that we are to harvest now. And Jesus quotes a proverb to the disciples to make this point firstly. We see in verse 35, Jesus says, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus quotes this proverb to his disciples, four months more and then the harvest. Now we have no record of this proverb in any other place, but it's quite often that people in rural settings have all kinds of proverbs that other people do not know about and aren't necessarily recorded in the pages of history. But basically you can see what people are saying here, that the harvest is in four months' time. And you can see that some people in a slower, more rural setting might be tempted to use this proverb to say, look, I don't need to do anything at this point because the harvest is four months away. We can sit back, be idle, be a little lazy even, and not bother harvesting. There's no point getting all worked up about the harvest when it's so far in sight. Jesus is saying, don't relax, don't be lazy. Instead, open your eyes and look at the fields. We see that in verse 35. He says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So Jesus is saying, don't say that proverb that you wait four more months before you get involved. He says, harvest now. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Does he want his disciples to go and start chopping down things in the field, start picking fruit from fruit trees that may be there? What is Jesus on about when he says that the fields are ripe for harvest? Well, Jesus is speaking about the fact that you can do the work of God now in bringing salvation for people, bringing people into God's kingdom. You can do that now as people are coming to hear about Jesus Christ. It's interesting the way that the original Greek has this verse. He doesn't say they are ripe for harvest. He says literally they are white for harvest. Now, apparently, according to farmers, I don't know much about this, but white isn't usually the colour that you see in grain fields or other types of food that is growing. You don't see white when a food is ready to be harvested. What people think Jesus is saying here is that He's pointing to the Samaritans who are coming out of the village probably dressed in white. The colour white was a common uh, uh, garment, uh, colour that was worn by uh, the Samaritans. And so as they come out of the city, he is pointing out to these disciples, look at those people over there. They are white for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. And we see that they're coming out back in verse 30. The woman goes into the town, she shares with the Samaritans about uh, Jesus, and she says in verse 29, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then what do we read in verse 30? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So Jesus is saying, look, these people are coming for salvation. They're coming to enter into the kingdom. And you're thinking about food, physical food. 
You should be thinking about spiritual food, doing the will of God, which means harvesting these people, bringing them into the kingdom, because they're ripe for that harvest. Which would have been hard for the disciples to hear, because, let's face it, it's not surprising they overlooked the fact that these people could be coming into the kingdom. I spoke when we first started this passage together about the hostility between Samaritans and Jews. And there would have been a real sense of racism in the disciples towards these Samaritans. They wouldn't have seen them as ripe at all for God's kingdom. They may not have wanted them in God's kingdom because they were Samaritans. But Jesus is telling them, open your eyes, look at the fields, look at the people coming out. They are white for harvest, they are ripe for harvesting even now. And so an easy application of this text to us today is to open our eyes and look at the fields and see whether they are ripe for harvest. Are the people around us ready to come into the kingdom? Are they ready to have salvation? But why should you bother? Why should these disciples bother harvesting for God's kingdom? Why should they bother bringing people into God's kingdom? Well, Jesus gives a couple of reasons in the text why the disciples should bother getting involved in the harvest. And that brings me to my second main point this morning. Harvest now for wages. Harvest now for wages. And we see in verse 36 that Jesus says this. He says, Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's saying that there's a reward that comes even now if you get involved in the harvest. In the time of Jesus, most labourers in the field were paid at the end of the day. So there was an immediate reward for your labour. Now, we in our society tend to have a much more protracted period before we see any result from our labour. It can be a fortnight, even a month, before you actually see your pay check. But for the people in that time, it was really immediate they didn't, that pay came through. And Jesus is saying, even now, people are being rewarded as they get involved in the harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. And there is a sense that if you get involved in bringing people into God's kingdom, there is a reward that's attached to that. If you are faithful in doing the will of God, if you are faithful in doing God's work, then he repays you. Even now, there is blessing from God for those who are faithful to him. A passage that speaks about this is uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, which quotes from the Old Testament, quotes a psalm, and it says in verse 10 of 1 Peter 3, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Even now there is a reward for those who are faithful in God's kingdom. And the passage that we looked at from Haggai this morning that we had read earlier, speaks very strongly about the fact that if you invest in God's house, there is reward that comes. If you invest into God's kingdom, then there is tangible reward that comes even in this life. Now we've got to be careful in this regard as well, that we don't start 
teaching something that is often known as prosperity gospel, that if you become a Christian, if you're faithful to God, then there will be much material reward that comes to you in this life. There's even a popular book that is known as um, Best Life Now, Your your Best Life Now, uh, which is indicating that you can have the best life now. But the Bible also teaches that there is suffering that comes with being a Christian and people will lose things for the sake of the gospel. There's a passage like Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that says, Whoever wants to be my disciple, this is Jesus speaking, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will save it. Very strong words coming from Jesus. We actually looked at those at our Bible study on Tuesday night this week, looked at all those uh, verbs that are used there. What, they, what does it mean to lose your life? What does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to take up your cross? It's not pretty conclusions that we made from those verses. But there is nevertheless a sense. If you, you read the Old Testament and read books like Proverbs, which I'm doing in my quiet times at the moment, it is full of reminders that if you are faithful to the Lord, then God blesses. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. If you are going to get involved in the harvest now, if you are going to be involved in bringing people into God's kingdom, you can draw a wage from God even now. You can draw blessing from God even now. And so that should be an incentive for us to be involved in the harvest even now. Is there another reason to be involved in the harvest? Any other reasons to bring people into God's kingdom? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Harvest now for eternal life. Harvest now for eternal life. And we see that in verse 36. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. I think we always have to remember this, that When we harvest in God's kingdom, when we bring people into God's kingdom, it has eternal consequences. It is about eternal life. There is eternal significance to what we do in God's kingdom, particularly as we bring people into his kingdom. Just consider all the other things that you do in this life and what you work towards, the things that you seek to have in this world. Think about your house, your car, the other things, that you, other possessions that you have, your clothing, your television, your computer, your nice smartphone, all those things. One day, they will not exist. They will be destroyed in fire. Those things that you have worked so hard to earn, to have in this world. They'll be destroyed with fire. But what about those people that you work to bring into God's kingdom? Will they be destroyed with fire and become nothing? No, they will have eternal life. Jesus says that after the judgment, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Imagine that, that in A billion years' time, those people that you have helped to bring into the kingdom, those people you have harvested for the kingdom, will be still shining like the sun in the kingdom of God. Whereas those things that you've spent so much time investing money 
investing your hours of labour into, where will they be in a billion years' time? They won't be shining like the sun in the kingdom of God. You want a motivation to be involved in God's harvesting? To bring people into the kingdom? Remember that it has eternal consequences. He who harvests the crop for eternal life. These are people coming to God and enjoying eternal reward instead of eternal damnation. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, understand the significance of where you're headed with your life. If you are someone who has not acknowledged God, has not acknowledged that you're a sinner before God, has not repented of your sins, has not trusted that Jesus Christ has died in your place, then you are headed for destruction. Not reward, not eternal life. Not eternity in paradise. I encourage you, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, don't delay. Don't leave it till tomorrow. Don't leave it till next week when you can have some more of your questions answered. Do it now. Enjoy eternal life from today forward. Enjoy an eternal relationship with your Father who made you, the creator of all mankind, Go back to him and enjoy eternal life with him. So we as Christians have some motivation to harvest. We can draw a wage even now. We are drawing people for eternal life. Is there any other motivation to be involved in God's harvesting, to harvest in the field? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Harvest now for joy. Harvest now for joy. Verse 36 says, Even now the reaper draws his wages, even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice or be glad together. They may have joy together. Winning people into the kingdom, winning souls, so that they are no longer headed for destruction but headed for eternal life, is joyous work. Jesus illustrates this with the parable that he tells of the lost coin. He says in Luke chapter 15 verse 8, he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Finding something that is lost to you and very valuable is a joyous moment. I remember once losing my wallet, and this is in my uni days, probably didn't have that much money in it, but still it was a fairly significant event to me, and I was really torn up about it. Where could it be? And I had a hunch that it had fallen out when I got into the car at the car park at the university. So I drove back. And you know my joy when I saw it sitting there in the car park was incredible because I was so worried about it. And there in the car park, I found my wallet just where it had fallen out of my vehicle. Such joy over a wallet with probably not much money. It would have been a lot to me at the time. But it was still significant. I wouldn't have had my license in it. 
other details about my life, uh, my credit cards, these kinds of things. Such joy over a wallet. What about when someone is no longer headed for hell but is headed for heaven instead because of the work that you have done in witnessing to them? They were once lost but now they are found. Shouldn't there be far greater joy than the joy that we have when we find a lost wallet? And there is. If you've ever been involved in someone becoming a Christian, there's a very warm, fuzzy feeling. It might be a bit um, uh, irreverent to say it that way, but there's a really joy-filled part of your heart at that moment as you know that someone is no longer against God but is for God and is going to enjoy eternal reward. You want a motivation to harvest in God's field? Well, you can draw a wage now. You can experience the joy of bringing people into eternal life and know that you have eternal consequences to your actions, that people are going to live forever as a result. So maybe I've given you some good motivation there. Well, Jesus has. But you're thinking, oh, where should I harvest and how do I go about harvesting? Jesus tells me to do it, but what does he mean? What does this look like practically for myself? Well, that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. Harvest now in your own field. Harvest now in your own field. How do you harvest people for the kingdom? How do you reap people for the kingdom? Well, firstly, you need to open your eyes and know when the harvest field is ripe, uh, the, the field is ripe for harvesting. You need to ask yourself a question. Are you sitting back while the harvest is ripe in your field? The time has come for harvesting. Look at your family, your friends, the people at work. Are they ripe for harvest? Now, how do you know they're ripe for harvest? Well, do they want to spend time with you? Do they ask you to have lunch with them, to have dinner with them? to come over for a coffee? Do they want to even stand talking with you at work? And do they want to talk to you about spiritual matters? Are they asking about who God is and what it is you believe and what's the meaning of Easter? What's the meaning of Christmas? Those are people that are ripe for harvest. They're showing spiritual interest and they're showing an interest in you. Not everyone, unless you're really lovely person, is necessarily interested in you. There's some people that everybody wants to know. But most of us, uh, we find that people aren't particularly interested in us. We have to work at some relationship with them. If someone is actually interested in you and interested in what you believe, that's a bit of a miraculous thing, really, when you consider that you're a sinner and an obnoxious person a good deal of the time. If someone's interested in you, open your eyes. That person is ripe for harvest. And what do you do to harvest such people? Well, you need to spend two things. I can sum it up with two things. You need to spend minutes with that person. Sharing the gospel, telling them about who Jesus is, listening to them. That's another thing. Don't just do all the talking. Listen to that person. If you want to harvest someone, then you've got to hear what they've got to say and then respond accordingly. 
Spend minutes building a relationship with that person. Not necessarily always talking about spiritual matters. Talking about physical matters, things of this world. Build a relationship with them. But that takes minutes. Be prepared. If you want to be involved in the harvest, if you want to reap the benefits of the harvest, then you must spend minutes. Also, be willing to spend money. Maybe you're okay with spending minutes. But money might be another matter. But harvesting in God's field will take your money. may mean buying books for friends so they can read further on the questions that they've been asking. Maybe buying them a cup of coffee. Maybe buying them a meal. These kinds of things, it does take money. I've heard of Christians even saying, I can't have people into my home, it costs too much money if I have people over all the time. They're right, it does cost money. But that's part of harvesting in God's field. It requires something from you. There's a, uh, one of my favourite theologians, his wife, Edith Schaefer. She says that hospitality is a cracked teapot. Hospitality is a cracked teapot. If you have people into your home, expect that your teapot might crack. But that's part of being in the harvest. To get these things, to get a wage even drawn now, to have people having eternal life, to have the joy of seeing someone become a Christian may mean some broken China along the way. But that's part of being involved in the harvest. So that's your friends and family and work colleagues. Where else should you harvest and how should you harvest? Well, that brings me to my sixth main point this morning. Harvest now in your church's field. Harvest now in your church's field. Have you ever considered what ministries your church is involved in that may be ripe for harvest? That there's opportunities there that you could take advantage of? I, as a pastor, have a bit more of an awareness of different opportunities that are around. Let me just tell you that kids' work in Des Moines, I think, is ripe for harvest. I struggle to have conversations and bring people in from the community who are adults. But there's this bizarre thing that I think the parents are happy to send their children to hear about Jesus Christ. They're happy to send them to Scripture. They don't go to church themselves, but they're happy to send them to Scripture, and they're happy to send them along to kids' programs that we run at this church. But I can't actually... I've got ideas about what I'd like to do in, in, in sharing the gospel with kids, but don't have the resources. There's, these people are ripe for harvest. There's other people that I would like to meet with more often that are ripe for harvest, some adults that are around. And of course, the church, the church's field is not just here in Des Moines. The church, Des Moines Baptist Church, or if you're from a different church, their field often extends much further than their immediate vicinity. Their field can extend overseas with different missionaries that they support. Whole other countries can be supported if you give to a certain organisation that has an extensive ministry or to a couple or a family that has gone to another country. We hear from our missionaries about opportunities that they have that they can't actually fulfil. They're ripe for harvest, but there's not the, the, the people that can support the work so that it can be harvested. So how do you harvest in these ministries that the church has? <clears throat> well, once again, you need to donate two things. You need to donate minutes. Maybe you can harvest by being at the coalface of such ministries and actually sharing the good news. 
but maybe you can be behind the scene. I mean, harvesting in fields doesn't, it doesn't just mean that the only person that harvests is the person out in the field cutting down the fruit or chopping, chopping down the wheat, pulling the fruit from the trees. There's a whole bunch of administration that goes on behind harvesting in farming. And that goes on for the work of God's kingdom as well. You may not be at the coalface sharing the good news, but there's work that needs to be done behind the scenes that gets you involved in the harvest as well. Maybe you can assist the harvest by doing those two things that are usually far down on our to-do list but should be much, much higher, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting for the work that is going on at your church. I need prayer for the harvest that I do each week. I need it so much that I send you, a, if you're a member, a fairly lengthy email each week about what I'm getting up to so that you can pray for me. I know they're long, and some people think that they should be a bit shorter. But I basically say, I need prayer. And if people don't want to read the whole thing, then that's fine. But I know that there's some people who do, and they pray for me. And I need that prayer. And when you pray for me, realize that you're involved in the harvest. You're getting involved in the harvest that is going on even now. So you can donate your minutes by prayer, by administration, by even sharing the gospel yourself in churches' ministries. Also, you can donate not just your minutes, but your money. Now, I should say here that we don't need your money here at Dremoyne Baptist. If you're a member of the church, you would know that we've given away a fair portion of our money this year. We give away 10% of our income each year, And then we just gave away, recently, 10% of our working account because it was just a bit too large. We thought it good to give it away. We don't need your money here at Dremoyne Baptist. But if you want to be involved in God's harvest, then you should be giving your money to the harvest. And one of the best ways to do that is to give it to your local church. Why? Because those are the people that you trust, have the Spirit of God in them, and can have the, they have the best wisdom of the people that you know as to where your money could be used best, what missions it could be used for, what things it could be used for in the Dremoyne community. So my wife and I, we work out each year how much we're going to give to the Lord, and then we give to a couple of ministries that we are really keen about, we really like to support, and then... The bulk of it we give to the local church. Why? We give it to Dremoyne Baptist because we trust the members here collectively can make wiser decisions about that money and so that it is used for the harvest so that people are brought into the kingdom. And so I encourage you to do that. Use your minutes for the harvest, but also use your money. Use your money. Why? Not so that Dremoyne Baptist can grow and be this great thing or so Joel can have a bigger salary. Give your money so that you can experience the blessings of being involved in the harvest that we just saw Jesus speak about, that you can draw wages even now, that you can enjoy, that you can have the joy of knowing that people have eternal life, that your money is being used for eternal consequences rather than temporal ones here in this world. So donate your minutes and your money to the harvest fields, both in your private sphere then also at churches. 
And it may not just be the ministries that I've spoken about. Speak to other people here at church over lunch today, maybe. Have a chat to them and say, who's ripe for harvest in your field and how can I be involved in that? At a bare minimum, how can I be praying for that person and support you in harvesting that person for God? So are you harvesting now? Are you opening your eyes and looking at the harvest? Maybe you are. Maybe you're already lifting your eyes, as Jesus says, and seeing the fields are not ripe for harvest. Maybe there's nothing around you that is ripe for harvest. Or maybe you're already investing your minutes and your money in God's harvest. That's great. But to the rest of you, I ask, have you opened your eyes to look at the fields? Or are your eyes fixed on more temporal things? Like the television set. Or the dinner table. What did the disciples have their eyes fixed on? Food. They keep telling Jesus, eat something, eat something, eat something. What are they looking at? They're looking at the food that they just brought back. Yum, yum, lunch is here. How often do you do that? You're looking at temporal things rather than things that have eternal consequence. Opening your eyes and looking at the fields and seeing they're ripe for harvest. If you're not opening your eyes, do you realise what you're doing? You're missing out on wages in this life. And it could be that your friends and family and work colleagues are headed for hell. And you are missing out on the joy of harvesting people for the kingdom. Do you want some more joy in your life? you want to brighten up your day? Be involved in leading someone into the kingdom of God. The harvest field, the field is ripe for harvest. Get involved. Listen to the words of Jesus here. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak to him now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the words of Christ here. We thank you that he encourages us to open our eyes. Lord, forgive us for so many times keeping our eyes closed, not looking for opportunities that are all around us. And so, Lord, we've been missing out on drawing wages. We've been missing out on seeing people have eternal life. We've been missing out on that joy of seeing people have eternal life. Lord, we pray that we would indeed open our eyes. If there are people around us who are interested in becoming Christians, May we be ready to donate our minutes and our money so that they can enjoy the eternal life that we know. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.